0: we doing good. Good to see you. So good to see those little babies on the stage. Man, so exciting, so exciting. I'm glad to be with you here today. I am one of the pastors here on staff at the bridge. My name is Luke, and I have the honor of uh, shepherding our high schoolers and our middle schoolers. Do we got any high schoolers in the room? If you're in the room, woo-woo! Man, I love you. I love you. If you're a middle schooler in the room, what are you doing? What are you doing? We got middle school service right over there. We would love to have you. We would love to have you. I want to take a few seconds just to give a shameless plug for our middle school and high school uh, worship night this Wednesday night called Forward Night. Um, I'm excited because we got a guest speaker who's really got an incredible story that I can't wait for them to share. So middle schoolers, high schoolers, be there this Wednesday night at 7 a clock. Um, I'm sure you're probably wondering, like, what's the deal? Like, why is Pastor Luke here today? And where did he get that hat? Because that hat, man, <laughs> I want that hat. Some of you are probably wondering, is he going to preach in that thing all day? I hope not. I'm not going to hear a word he says, but I'm here for something very serious today. I don't know how to say it, but to just come out and say it, but there, um, well, there's been a murder. Yeah, it has been a murder. And uh, well, there's a killer on the loose. And so I wanna figure out today, with your help, I wanna figure out who that killer is. So I got my detective cap on, man. I'm ready to do some digging, ready to do some investigating. And I hope that you are too. And so we're gonna start with Genesis one and two. Okay, so I'm going to just kind of paraphrase this. You probably already know it, um, but Genesis is where it all starts. I'm going to make it really easy for you today. Okay, if you have never read the Bible before, you're just kind of getting into following Jesus, then all you've got to do is go to the very first book of the Bible, and there is where we'll be at today. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we see the creation account take place, and God, on the sixth day, creates humanity, and he says that it is good, He says that it is good. And then we find this man and this woman in the garden, and um, God told them, don't eat of the tree, don't eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, um, you know the rest of the story, they end up doing just that, and the serpent is there and the serpent is really the one that kind of starts things off and really, really gets Eve and Adam to really question God's goodness. And so they see that the fruit is good for eating and they hear that it might bring them some wisdom and so they go for it. And then what happens next is their eyes open, the scales fall off, they know the difference between good and evil, they see each other and they see each other for the very first time in a, in a new way. They see that neither one of them is wearing clothes, and they're freaked out, and so they go and hide. And then they hear God is coming, and so they go and they hide from him. And then uh, God asks these two questions right here that I think are very interesting, and I want you to hang on to this for the rest of the day. He says, where are you? Where are you? And Adam, he says, well, Um, we're in hiding because we heard you coming and we're scared because we're naked. And then God says, you know, who was it that told you you were naked? And then he looks to Eve and he says, well, the woman that you gave me, well, she, uh, you know, lured me into eating the fruit. Then she looks to the serpent and says, it's the serpent's fault. And so then God asks this second question that I want you to hang on to this morning. He says, what have you done? And it seems as though, as if it could not get any worse in this moment. And this is just chapter 3, the very beginning of the Bible. And it looks like, wow, can't get any worse than this until we get to chapter 4. And chapter 4 is a bit of a doozy. And so I want us to look at that together. Let's read that together this morning. Genesis chapter 4 right here on the screen, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So we see uh, this parallelism right here of Cain and Abel. Cain's older, uh, Abel is younger, Cain works the soil, Uh, Abel, he keeps the flocks. And so it continues on in the next verse. In the course of time, Cain brought forth an offering, some of the fruits of the soil to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. This is where it gets a little bit hairy for these brothers. The Lord looked with favor on Abel. And his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor, so Cain was angry, and his face was downcast, and it continues on. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast he says don 't you know that if you simply do what is right, you will be accepted, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door it has a desire for you you are going to have to master it and it continues on and we see that Cain invites his brother out into the field and then he kills him and then all of a sudden God comes back into the picture and he asks the question where is Abel And Cain says, I don't know. And it seems like he gets real smart. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And then God tells him, he says, your brother's blood is crying out from the soil. What have you done? And then we read where God tells him that he's gonna be cast away from the land. And all of a sudden, in this moment, Cain continues to panic. And he says, this punishment that you're giving me is more than I can bear. I'm being driven from the land. I'm being driven from your presence. And he says, someone will kill me. I'm scared that somebody's going to come after my life. And God says, it's not so. He says, as a matter of fact, if anybody kills you, then I'm going to give them a curse seven times worse than what you have. He says, I'm going to mark you so that when people see you, they will know not to kill you. And then Cain, we see, moves off and lives in Nod. And so this story is so interesting because when you read it, it seems as though you know exactly who the killer is. It seems very clear. I mean, The killer is obviously Cain. The motive is there. He's got that jealousy, that that passion, that anger, that resentment. And it just, it looks like this is it. Cain is the killer of this story right here. There's the motive. The DNA itself cries out and tells on Cain. And God himself even accuses him. And, And Cain, he has no story here. I don't know what happened. It looks like Cain is the killer. This is a closed case. When you look back at the text, you start to wonder, what if this was not a solo job right here? What if Cain is just a hired hand? What if somebody else is really pulling the strings here? What if there's another killer. Well, if that's the truth, then there's a killer on the loose. And I would say that very same killer is in this room right now. And I would argue that maybe, just maybe, that killer is living in your house. So our job today is to find the killer The title of today's message is Killer on the Loose. Would you pray with me? God, we love you, and we thank you, God, for this time together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to read your word, to dive into your word. God, we pray right now. We just want to stop, and we just want to ask, Lord, for you to open up the eyes of our hearts that we may see wonderful things in your law today, God. We pray that you would refine us, God. We pray, Father, that you would take away anything that's not of you, Lord. Our prayer is that today, God, we would be able to find this killer and we would be able to deal with it head on. So, Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit's guidance. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm. Could you imagine how your life would change if we found out that there was a killer on the loose for real, for real? Like in Johnson County, here in Princeton, or in Wayne County. I mean, it would change your life if you knew that there was a killer on the loose. It would change the way you live your life. You would start to live your life with your guard up, you would be a little bit nervous. You would would be a little bit cautious. You would question every single move that you make and the moves that other people make. You would start to, you know, distrust your own neighbor. Could that be them? Could that be the killer? I mean, there would just be this sense of panic in your life. You would always keep your guard up. And as long as you keep your guard up, you will naturally progress into self-preservation mode self-preservation mode where you start to look out for yourself, you do anything and everything you can to ensure your safety, you start looking out for you. And when you stay so long in self-preservation mode within, it consumes you and you never really feel secure. You start to act in ways you don't typically act you beef up your surveillance systems, you buy more cameras, you get more security, you double down, and in the process, you lose sleep, you become more anxious, you put the little sign out in your yard just so people know that you've got a security system. You put the little ADT sign right out there just because you just, you know, you want the burglar if they're coming into your house or the killer to come. To you. Oh, okay, I can't go to that house because of the little sign. I mean, you do anything and everything you can to give yourself a sense of security. But we all know that you will never really truly feel secure until the killer is caught. You never will. Man, I think about a family member of mine um, a couple of years ago who came into the house one day, and uh, they started talking about how things were a little out of place outside. It it seemed like people were starting to, to mess with things. Things were not in the same place as they were where they left them, and we didn't really pay much attention to it then, but over time, we started to see this family member of ours Uh, become a little bit anxious anytime there was a noise outside go and peep at the blinds look out the door and eventually over time they bought a, a, a security system they had it where they could look on their phone and check their cameras at any time and we used to think okay going a little bit overboard we don't see any of the things that you're talking about don't hear any of the noises that you hear and we just started to believe like oh man He's really getting consumed with this. And we were a little bit concerned until until the day this family member of ours goes on vacation and gets a little notification that their door's been opened and none of the family's supposed to be home. And we look on the camera and there's footage of people inside the house. And that moment just the hair on your neck stands up. All of a sudden, the security you once felt is gone. And so maybe, maybe you don't know what it's like to have a killer on the loose in your area. Maybe you've never had anybody break into your house before. Maybe you've never Know what it feels like to not feel secure in your own home. But I wonder if there are areas of your life where you feel like you're not exactly secure. Maybe for you it's work. Maybe even right now you're here this morning and you feel like your job is on the line. Maybe your boss doesn't like you. Maybe it feels like your coworkers don't like you. Maybe it feels like your coworkers are competition. Maybe, you know, the business was sold to another company and you're just uncertain about what's gonna happen next. Maybe for you, your job feels like it's on the line. You don't feel very secure right now. Maybe for some of you, it's your marriage. You don't feel very secure in your marriage right now. It seems like there's some distance that has grown between you and your spouse and you can't really put your finger on it, but you know something's not right. Maybe it's your past that continues to haunt you or or your spouse's past that continues to haunt you and so you don't really feel secure. Maybe you feel like you're on the brink of losing your spouse. Maybe for some of you, the area of your life that you don't feel very secure is parenting. You're scared to death that you're gonna somehow fail your children and it's so easy to look at the other parents around you and think to yourself, man, if I was just more like them, maybe my kid wouldn't be behind. Maybe that's a point of your life that you feel like you failed your child. You see your child and they're a little bit behind of where they're supposed to be. And in your mind, you look at yourself, you point the fingers at yourself and maybe I should spend more time. And you start to think about what the issue is and you just don't feel secure. Maybe for some of you, you have older children that your relationship is is strained. And maybe you don't even have a communicating relationship with that child And, and, and that part of your life, oh my gosh, you feel like there is no security at all. Maybe for some of you, students specifically, maybe it's school. Maybe you just moved to a brand new school and you don't have any friends. And it's been very hard this school year to make some. Maybe you're falling behind academically and people are starting to notice. And so right now you feel like school was not a very secure place. Maybe for some of you, you are being bullied right now. And the last place you wanna go is school. For some of you, maybe it's your finances. You never thought that you would be in this much debt but you never saw that health scare come. or maybe for some of you, it was debt that you got in the marriage and we could go back to the marriage thing and that's a part of the tension there and you just don't know what to do. Maybe for some of you right now, you are on the brink or you at least feel like you're on the brink of losing everything. If I ask you to tell me a little bit about yourself, you wanna know what you tell me most likely? You would say, well, I'm married. I have X number of kids. Uh, I do this occupation for a living. For some of us, we'd say I go to this school. All of these areas I just mentioned are the places that we look to to give us a sense of security and identity. And so there's no wonder that when we experience tensions in these areas, we start to question who we are. And when we start to question who we are, we begin the process of trying to define ourselves or in some cases redefine ourselves. And we start looking every which way. We look for other people to define us. We look for our past to define us. We look at our actions to define who we are, our desires to define who we are, our culture, the trends right now to define us. And we are consumed we're trying to find the answer to that question of who am I? The problem, though, with letting any of those things be the thing that defines us is that they're always changing. And because they're always changing, our security never feels all that secure. It's always shifting. And guess what happens when you lose your sense of security in who you are? your guard goes up. You start to distrust the people around you. You you see them as maybe people out to get you. You question what their motive is for trying to get close to you. When you're struggling to find out who you are and trying to define yourself, you live with your guard up. And the longer you live with your guard up, well, again, you gotta move on into self-preservation mode. You do anything and everything you can to feel secure about who you are. But it just seems like it's not really happening because there are so many different people out there to compare yourselves to. And you wish you were like them, but you're not. And so then you start to go into the obsession part, trying to figure out who you're going to be. You act in ways you don't typically act. You lose sleep. You're anxious. And you're wondering, will I ever really be settled on who I am. You know, I think that's what Cain was dealing with. I think that that was the frustration that Cain felt. So as we jump back into the text, with a new set of lenses, I think we're gonna be one more step closer to finding out who the real killer is in this text. Verse five tells us, but on Cain and his offering, God did not look with favor so Cain was angry and his face was downcast the feelings that he was feeling on the inside are starting to manifest themselves on the outside and God sees it so maybe that's it right there maybe that's the killer maybe we've seen it in that verse maybe it's anger no it's not anger well, maybe it's resentment because, I mean, we're talking about two people comparing their gifts. One's approved, one's not. So maybe that's what it is, it's this comparison. Maybe it's resentment. No, nope, that's not it. Maybe, maybe the killer is jealousy. No, nope, that's not it. No, those are just the fruit of the root issue here. As we see God's response, it takes us one more step closer in finding out who the real killer is. Verse six, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And then he gives him this warning but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. You got to rule over it. God gets to the root issue. We find out what the issue is here it's not jealousy. It's not resentment. What Cain is struggling with in this moment is acceptance. He doesn't feel accepted, but God told him just like that. Listen, I'm not here to just favor one person. I have enough favor to go around. He he tells Cain what he's to do, but at this point, it's too late. The killer has already struck insecurity is the killer, insecurity, a lack of confidence and uncertainty about oneself. Well, it sets the stage for sin to ruin our lives. It clouds our judgment and gives us a distorted view of ourself. It gives us a distorted view of others and it gives us a distorted view of God. And so while Abel may have been killed by the hand of Cain, it was insecurity that opened the door to let sin in. It was insecurity that planted the seed in Cain's mind. You are not enough. God doesn't love you. Abel is better than you. You are worthless. Insecurity, it starts with the small things. Then it bleeds over into our relationships and finally it comes after our relationship with God. This very thing that Cain is struggling with Well, the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree. It's the same thing his parents struggle with. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created humanity and said it was good. But it was in the garden, at the tree, that God told them not to eat from, that sin was crouching at the door to consume them and insecurity opened it up. And for the first time, Adam and Eve made the decision that maybe God's good is not good enough. Maybe God's holding out on us. And so they do what? They tried to build their own sense of identity. Their trust in God was breached. And we learned for the very first time that if you don't kill insecurity, it'll kill you. So how do I know? How do I know when insecurity has taken over an area of my life? It's real simple. When I am in charge of my security, that's how I know. We're not so different than Cain. Now we like to think we are When we read this story of Cain and Abel, we're like, oh my goodness, Cain, really? You blew it, man, but we are so much like Cain. We just wanna be accepted. We wanna be liked, we wanna be right. We wanna be relationship goals. (laughs) We want people to look at us and our kids and say, man, they're doing it right. We wanna be the popular kid at school. We want to be the star at work. Man, we crave being accepted. In a lot of cases, we'll try to do anything we can to get it. But you were never meant to draw confidence from yourself. The power to be a better spouse, to be a better parent, to be a better friend, to be a better employee. It's not somewhere deep down inside of you and you gotta pull it out. No, your identity is not something that you build. Your identity is something that you find and it can only be found in the one that created you. What does Ephesians tell us as Paul's talking to the Ephesians? He says to the believers, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works to bring glory to God. So now that we've pinpointed the killer, now that we know who the one is that's pulling the strings in Cain's life and maybe even your own, I think it's time we discover how to kill insecurity before it can kill us. I think the first step is looking to God to define you. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you. Don't miss the power in that verse right there. If anybody knows what it's like to feel insecure, it's the first century Gentiles. Because they don't have the history of the Israelites. They don't have the history of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. They don't have that history. They don't know about all the prophets yet. They're just coming into this thing for the first time. They hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They've seen the miracles. They've seen him working. They've heard about the cross. They've heard about the work that Christ has done. And so now they're discovering for the first time maybe that God cares and loves about them and they've accepted God's forgiveness. And so now as we continue to read, it says, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. So now the Gentiles, and we're the Gentiles by the way, the Gentiles now get to take part And something that was promised to the Israelites hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Because now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are God's own. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. And that he purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we could praise and glorify him. He is our source of identity. So in that moment when you feel like a failure as a parent, in that moment where you feel like a a failure as a spouse, in that moment where you feel like that you are lonely and nobody cares about you at school, remember your identity is not found in any of those things. Your identity is found in Christ Jesus. Let him define you. And then the next step, let him refine you. Let them define you and then let them refine you. What do I mean by that? In the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi shares, he doesn't fully have a picture of what everything that the spirit is giving him is gonna look like, but he's talking about somebody. We, given the whole story, now that we know the whole story, know he's talking about Jesus. But in Malachi 3, 3 through 4, he, Jesus, will sit like a refiner of silver, I like the fact that it says sit. In other words, Jesus is patiently waiting, working to refine us. This is not something he's in a rush to do, but something that takes time. It says he will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross, burning away the waste. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then, once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. Do you know what that communicates to me? God is not a God of one chance, but God is a God of many chances. As a matter of fact, when you say yes to him, when you follow him, you believe in him and you become a part of his family, your life is a refining process. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that does that. As a matter of fact, David praises prayer in Psalms. He says, Lord, look at my heart. If there be any evil way inside of me, take it out. Even David understands that God is a refiner. Cain, though, unfortunately, in the story, in his moment of refinement, chooses to disregard it because remember, before he killed Abel, God gave him a chance. That was an opportunity for Cain to grow. But insecurity had already done its job. Sin that was crouching had already attacked and he had plotted in his mind what he wanted to do. But you know what's interesting to me about this story is that Cain is upset he doesn't get favor from the Lord. Okay, Abel gets it, Abel, ends up getting killed. Cain, at the end of the story, sure, he's cast out of the land, but God puts a mark on him. He sets a seal on him so that nobody will kill him. God continues to protect Cain. And it makes me wonder, is that not favor? In that moment, God is granting him mercy, not to just kill him right there, but allows him to live his life, and he does, and he builds a city. My point is that God is not limited in his favor. He's offering it this morning, and you receive it as a child and heir of the king. That's offered up to you right now. So let God define you. Let God refine you. And then finally look to God to assign you. Maybe, 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 as you're looking around at your life right now, maybe it's been this week. You've looked at your life and you've said, God, or maybe you just said it to yourself, because maybe right now you you don't even believe in God right now, but maybe you have thought to yourself, I am not where I thought I would be at this age. Man, I, I love the holidays. I love getting together with family and friends, but sometimes for some of us, it's a painful reminder of where we're not. When we sit around the table and talk about what's going on in our life, sometimes that can be a sore subject because we feel like, man, we missed it somehow. We messed up and now we'll never get back on track. But can I ask you, can I plead with you, look to God to assign you Matthew tells us in Matthew 25, 21, it says in this parable that Jesus gives, talking about the talents, he says, his master replied to the two that were faithful. Well done, good and faithful servants. This This is huge right here. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Are you being faithful for where you are right now? Because God knows exactly what you're capable of handling. And so you may have a dream or a picture of what you want to accomplish in your life or what kind of career you want to jump into. God's word says that the heart of man makes plans, but it's God who establishes steps. And so my question for you right now is in the little things, are you being faithful? Maybe for some of you, you're not exactly where you wanted to be. Can I tell you that this is a refining moment for you? God does not let anything go to waste, but he uses every single bit of it. So wherever you are in your life right now, begin, if you haven't already, to thank God for it. Begin to look at it as an opportunity for God to develop and grow you and trust him to put you where he needs you to be. I love what Pastor Andy said about these children that came up on this stage today. As we look at them and we make our commitments and he said, guys, aren't you excited about what God's gonna do in their life? Don't you believe that God is gonna use them in a mighty way? Can I tell you something? God's looking to do the same thing in your life, no matter what age you are. Maybe you feel like it's too late. God's ready to use you right this second, right this moment, right now. You were never meant to live an insecure life. Matter of fact, that's why God sent his son to the cross to take away anything that would keep you from fulfilling the purpose he has for your life, to take away anything that holds you back from being in relationship with him. I think it's so interesting when you really think about it, Jesus is the better Abel. Abel's blood was crying from the ground, telling a story about what had happened. He died an innocent death, Abel did. He didn't do anything. His brother killed him. Jesus died an innocent man. His blood was shed. And right here, right now, today, his blood is telling a story of redemption. But he's the better Abel. Because he didn't stay dead, but he rose again on the third day. And so I'm not just asking you to allow Jesus to come into your heart. No, will you actually let him give you a brand new heart today? And I'm telling you, when you make that decision and you really start to follow God with everything you got, holding nothing back, the good, the bad, the ugly, you will begin to see The identity that God has for you, the purpose that God has for your life. That's what I'm praying for this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we love you and we thank you, Lord. Oh, that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. God, I'm not worthy, not one bit. But God, how it speaks to your glory that you would be willing to shed your blood for somebody like me. So God, I pray that with my life, I would glorify you. And I pray that for every person in here, God, I pray that we would make the decision today to live for you. And God, if there's anybody right now who is battling with insecurity, I pray, God, that where they are right now, God, they would call on you, call on your name right here, right now, and ask you to kill it. Because God, I believe that you have a life for them that they've never imagined. The word says, and God, you know what, you wrote it. The thief, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came, Jesus, to give life to the full. I pray that people begin to really understand what that means today. Life to the full is becoming and knowing that you are a child of the living God. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time right now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.